0: grab a seat and we'll get underway that's Navy talk for getting started but again uh, good to see you and a couple of announcements before we uh, listen to our praise team of two okay so first of all I want you to be aware that the pastor is in uh, on if you will a, a vacation of sorts although it really is not he's officiating a wedding yesterday For a person who used to be a member of our church named Trey Jacobson, and the two girls are flower children in the uh, wedding, so I'm sure they're having a a great time uh, down there. They'll be coming back here very soon. Um, As a result, we have the pleasure of having Dan Garlington uh, fill the pulpit here this morning and continuing uh, our study of Acts, but... Dan and Kelsey are both anticipating going to the International Mission Board in Richmond, Virginia, later this month for an interview, Uh, one of a multitude of steps that have to be taken before they can be approved to be on the mission field. And so that's a source of concern and prayer for them. Next Saturday, May 13th, is the annual Spring Work Day at the church. Um, There will be an emphasis on. Outdoor projects, emphasis on indoor projects, and an emphasis on macho, tough guy, big projects. And so the list of all of those three things is on wall charts down in the Fellowship Hall. And just encourage you to go do a sneak peek at that. But we'll have a continental breakfast in the morning, 8 to 9. Then we'll knock out everything from 9 to 12 and and, uh, call it a day after that. So it'll be a half day on next Saturday the annual spring work day, continental breakfast, and all that. Sunday, May 14th, guess what famous day in history that is? Mother's Mother's Day. All right. So uh, we'll be handing out a gift to all uh, mothers, prospective mothers, and that will happen during the worship uh, experience here next Sunday. Uh, And then a a week later, uh, May 21st, Uh, there will be a a baby shower for Brooke and Travis and that will also be a cookout on the parking lot so it's going to be a combination of cookout uh, baby shower and just a great time of of fun and sharing on the 21st and then the following weekend is Memorial Day weekend and that will take care of itself so again those are some of the highlights but I do encourage you to come to the workday there will be something there for every age and IQ, so uh, we look forward to having uh, you uh, participate in that joint endeavor. And uh, Joe, you uh, were here last year when you made a huge contribution on that work day, and feel free to come back. Okay. Um, uh, So at this point, let me just turn the uh, worship experience over to my good friend Edwin. Thank you, you, Jay, for the intro. And for the
1: announcements, appreciate it. Our church, let's stand uh, and let's, let's worship this morning. Let's prepare our hearts, right, um, as we sing these songs, these songs of praise to our Father in heaven. Um, but before that, let me uh, read from the Word. <clears throat> it's a call to worship. It's called, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, So I pray that we may be able to focus on these songs, especially on this first one as we sing Hallelujah for the Cross. Um, Prepare our hearts in worship. Amen.
2: Up to the hill, up to the hill of Calvary. My Savior went a and there he fled and died for me. Hallelujah, for the cross. And on that day, the world was changed a final, perfect land. Good I done could never say my debt too great for me to pay. But God, my Savior, made a way. Hallelujah for the cross, His yes, Lord, a slave to sin. My life was bound, but all my chains fell to the ground when Jesus' blood. This hope will guide me into death, hallelujah. i Jesus Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive. Unless the Lord does raise the house in vain, its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me, what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. will be died, his kingdom come. King of the Lord. to Christ
1: Father as we sing these words may we may we understand the work father that you have done on the cross for us through Jesus that is why all glory shall be and should be to Christ God, you are worthy of our praise, worthy of our gathering this morning. Lord, continue, continue, Father, to to encourage us, Lord, as we worship in song and now in your word. Lead us, Lord. Lord, we need we need you. In all of this, Father, um, let us look heavenly words, Father, and and just be encouraged this morning as we as we hear your word now. You're worthy of our praise, Father. Thank you, Lord. Lead our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, um, children can be dismissed to their classrooms. Uh, I believe this today, right? It's not the let so.
0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we pause right now just to acknowledge Your presence in this place. Presence. It also is magnified by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, Lord, we acknowledge you as the all-powerful creator of the universe who hung the planets in the orbits and then at the end of all creation culminated it with the breathing of life into mankind. And so, Lord, we acknowledge you as all-powerful, all-knowing, All loving the God of the universe. And so, Lord, we just pause right now just to take that all in, to fully comprehend the attributes of God the omniscience, the omnipresence, the ability to be everywhere all at once, to know our thoughts even before we verbalize them, to know our prayers as we agonize for the right words to say. And so, Lord, we just take great comfort in that incredible personal relationship that we can have with the epitome of truth, the author and finisher of our faith. And in that context, Lord, it seems not beyond your capability to pray for our nation, for our state in our country. Lord, we pray that those that are in leadership roles and positions of authority in government and judicial systems will do so with an appreciation for the foundation that was put in place. Lord, there are wars and rumors of wars. There are acts of violence that we cannot fully understand. So, Lord, we pray for our country that it would return to a nation that puts great emphasis on the Biblical mandate on how to be a Christian nation. Lord, that may be a bold prayer, but I pray it. pray also for our state that we're in, the state of New Hampshire, that people in leadership here will understand how to judge fairly and judiciously and enact legislation that is not contrary to the will of God. We pray for our church. We pray for those that are involved in small group ministries, those that are involved in evangelizing neighbors and friends. Lord, we pray that this church would be a lighthouse on the seacoast that would make an impact in the lives of those that are drawn to you. So Lord, I pray that we'll continue to be a church that reaches out beyond our comfort zone and touches lives who are struggling, perhaps seeking you but not sure what that means. Lord, I pray for our pastor who is away presiding over a, a wedding and Lord, what a what a great opportunity that is to proclaim the love and message of Christ. And Lord we pray for Bill and Ruth Shaw, especially Ruth who had a fall this week. And may she heal well. Lord, we pray the same thing for Brenda Desmond who had surgery not too long ago. May she heal well. Pray for Rhonda who she deals as does her entire family with the passing of her dad. Lord, May you give her a a great sense of peace. Pray for Dan and Kelsey as they anticipate seeking God's will for where they can serve best on the mission field. Lord, we pray for those that are dealing with illnesses that are debilitating, demoralizing, and yet we put our faith and trust in Christ and we call upon you as the great physician to intercede in the lives of those that need a healing touch. So Lord, continue to work through us We so much want to be able to find opportunities to share that hope that lies within us. So, Lord, in the quietness of the moment, we just say, thank you, God. Thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit. Thank you for being there with us. Lord, well, I pray right now, then, for Dan as he comes to the pulpit and shares from his heart and from the Word nuggets of truth that we so much desperately need to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: All right. Well, thank you, Jay, and good morning. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Daniel, and uh, I'm married to Kelsey, and we have a little baby Louisa there in the back. But I'm really glad to be here today with you all. As Jay mentioned, uh, Pastor Demi is officiating a wedding. So um, yeah, I'm just really excited to dig into ACTS. We're going to continue uh, this study that we've been going through. And if you're visiting here in person or online, welcome to Seacoast Community Church. And uh, But before we jump into the text, I'd love to also open us in prayer before we begin. Our great and gracious Father, um, thank you for allowing us to all to be, all, be to, um, all together be here this morning. And I pray that uh, wherever people may be in their hearts this morning, uh, that you'd be at work. God, like Jay, just prayed that your Holy Spirit would be at work. I pray for that, that Lord, in the, the thoughts of our minds that you know and the inclinations of our hearts, that you would be at work on our hearts. And uh, I pray now that you bless our time together and that your name would be lifted high. And I pray all this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. So our text this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 5 through 12 today. So if you'd like to follow along in the Bibles located in the seat in front of you, we're on page 912, but we also have it. Up here on the screen if you'd like to follow along. So Acts chapter 4 verses 5 to 12. On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family and when they had set them in the midst they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given, given among men by which we must be saved. So a powerful passage here. But before we dig into the text for today, uh, it's helpful to remember what the context of this verse is. Uh, whether or not you were here last week, uh, Pastor Demi preached on verses 1 through 4 of chapter 4. So I'm just going to give us a quick recap, uh, kind of to orient us to this passage here. So we have two apostles, Peter and John, who are headed to the temple to pray when they encounter uh, a man who has been unable to walk from birth. They heal him in Jesus' name, and this miracle prompts a large crowd of people, naturally, to gather around them. And Peter takes this opportunity to preach uh, about Jesus to the crowd. And he explains how they, the Israelites, they killed him because they were the ones who said, crucify him, crucify him but that God had raised Jesus from the dead and that he now offers eternal life to all who would repent and believe in Jesus. But this preaching of a resurrected Jesus angered the religious rulers. So they arrested them and they detained them overnight since they had been preaching kind of towards late afternoon. So They're like, okay, we're going to detain you and then we're going to investigate this tomorrow morning. So now we pick up in verse 5 in the passage for today. And see what happens to these men the next morning as they come before these religious rulers. So let's, I think it's helpful sometimes to reread passages uh, of scripture to really let it soak in. So I'm going to read this one more time. Acts 4, verses 5 through 12. So now on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. This man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Again, a powerful passage of Scripture. And there are a couple points that I want to pull out from this, namely what it looks like to trust in the power of Jesus' name to the presence of the Holy Spirit, and what it looks like to trust in the salvation that Jesus brings. So again, the power of Jesus' name, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the salvation that Jesus brings. So point number one, we see here in verse 5 to 7, it says, On the next day the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. So we have a lot of religious rulers here gathered together with some high priests who are the top of the food chain when it comes to the religious rulers, Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? So this question is really uh, insightful. It gives us some insight into what these religious rulers were thinking. They asked, by what power? Asking what it was that gave these Ordinary men's supernatural power. And they follow that question up with, or by what name did you do this? And this focus on the name shows us that these rulers knew there had to be something more powerful than these common, uneducated men. Someone or something working behind the scenes to give these men supernatural ability. And these questions, by what name, by what power, they also reveal that the rulers recognized that a real miracle had taken place. Notice that, unlike other miracles that we see in Scripture, they weren't investigating this man, like we saw in John 9. There was a blind man who they were investigating. They interviewed him, they interviewed his family. Were you really blind? No, they don't do that here. The religious rulers ask no questions to the man who has been unable to walk. And this is because these rulers probably knew this man. We see in Acts Three, verse 2, that this man was laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. And we know that these religious rulers, they spent every day at the temple. This was their workplace. So we see from scripture also that this man was unable to walk from birth. So we can safely assume that over the course of this man's over 40 years of life, these religious rulers walked by him many times. They probably knew his face as he held out his hands. They probably knew what his disability was, that he was unable to walk. They probably knew the men who carried him every day and laid him at the gate. They probably knew the sound of his voice as he asked for alms, which is just asking for money or food or some other provision. So these religious rulers, they probably knew this man. But now we see that here he is, This beggar now healed standing before them all with healed feet and ankles in the center of the room with Peter and John. And this man could not be passed off as a fake or imposter because they, along with the rest of the temple goers, knew him and now wanted to know, we know this man, but now by what power or by what name did this happen? Was he healed? Now this question may have been legitimate. They may truly did not know what name, what power. But what is more likely is that they already knew by what name these apostles were speaking. In Acts 3, 9-10, to it says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God, talking about this healed man. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So these rulers, they most likely knew whose name Peter and John were proclaiming, since they were also the ones who arrested them in the first place for proclaiming a resurrected Jesus. But what is interesting here is that the religious rulers, they knew that if they could get Peter and John to publicly proclaim the name of Jesus before these high priests, then they could punish them, and punish them by uh, executing them. And this is in accordance with their law, The religious rulers, they followed the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. And it says in Deuteronomy 13, 1-3, that if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and a sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. It goes on to say in verse 5, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. So these religious rulers, they did not believe that Jesus was God. And so they saw Peter and John's proclamation of Jesus as a form of going after other gods. And they, in accordance with their law, this was an act punishable by death. So as Peter and John are standing here, there is a very real threat. To these apostles, and not only for the apostles, but for this healed man as well, we see here in the passage that he's standing with them, and that gives us some sense that he is not just there by chance, but he is um, associating himself with these men and what they believe. Earlier in Acts three eleven, it says that this man clung to Peter and John after he was healed, which is just a beautiful picture of the depth of gratitude that this man has, not only for the apostles but for Jesus, who healed him through these apostles. So now we have Peter and John standing here encircled by these religious rulers who are just surrounding them like a pack of lions intent on their prey. They're trying to trap them. And this is a hostile environment, okay? So this is not a, a, uh, a place they want to be necessarily. So now let's see how Peter responds in the face of this danger, in the face of death, as he speaks to these religious rulers. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the, peop- of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that, the- that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified... Whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Now, this is a bold reply. And we notice how Peter wields the name of the Lord here like a sword in the way that he responds to these religious rulers and their question. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and boldly answers their question by telling them whose name he invoked to accomplish this miracle. He says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man is standing before you well. And now the name Jesus was actually a fairly common name in first century Israel. But we see here that Peter is being crystal clear about which Jesus is responsible for this man's healing. It's not some other Jesus they may have heard of or they don't know about. This is the Jesus who is the Christ or the chosen or anointed one. This is the Jesus from Nazareth, And Peter goes on to even make a more clear uh, claim here about who it is that he's speaking of. And this this is a powerful statement. He hurls this dagger of a statement at them. He says, this is Jesus whom you crucified. And now, there's not a shadow of a doubt, by what name Peter and John healed this man. Now, another point needs to be made here about the name of Jesus. Peter says that by the name of Jesus Christ, This man is standing before you well. And I want to make clear that there is a distinction between the word Jesus and the person of Jesus. The very word Jesus has no special power or abilities on its own. The word Jesus is simply the English uh, version of the word Yeshua, which is Jesus' name in Aramaic, which is what they spoke back then. And believers in other countries, they speak different languages and have a variety of different sounding names for Jesus. In Turkish, uh, it's Isa. In Vietnamese, and I'm probably going to butcher this, Chua seisu, And in Cambodia, where they speak Khmer, it's Yesu. and on and on. That doesn't sound like Jesus, okay? At least the Jesus that we say, that word itself. We notice how different the words sound for Jesus. And again, the very word is not magical or powerful in and of itself, and so many people have different words for it. But why do we pray in his name? Why does Peter say that it is by the name of Jesus that these things, these things take place, these miracles? Well, because the name of Jesus, in English and every other language, is powerful only because of who the name is attached to. Who the name is attached to is what gives the name power. And a simple example comes from Uh, my work. So I'm an English teacher, and sometimes uh, I'll send a group of students out into the hallway to work on a project by themselves. I trust them. Uh, But if I start to hear them get loud or off topic, sometimes I'll send another student out to go tell them to be quiet or get back on task. Now, the student that I send out into the hallway to address their peers, they know intrinsically that when they go out there, they need to start their warning with the words, Mr. Garlington says, you all need to be quiet. If they don't, their words are going to lose their power. Why? Because the loud students will just look at this peer and not be afraid of any consequences. They're like, who are you to tell us what to do? You have no authority over us. You have no power over us. But they will listen to the student who comes in my name. Because they know that it is no longer this student who is speaking, but rather Mr. Garlington is speaking through them. And so we see that the name that the student is wielding has power, because the person behind the name, myself in this case, has the power and authority to affect these students. So we see that it is not the name itself, but who is attached to that name that gives the name its power. And Peter, in this passage, is not some schoolboy telling his peers to quiet down. Peter who is a common, uneducated man, a fisherman by trade, is standing up to the most powerful religious rulers of the day. And yet, he is able to come before them, not because he is more powerful than they, but because he comes in the name of Jesus, a name that is higher and does have greater authority than even these powerful religious rulers. It's like these religious rulers were the loud ones in the hallway, and they're saying, "Who, who says, who are you to tell us what to do? And Peter tells them in verse 10, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So we see here that Peter is not only telling them of the power of Jesus' name, but also he himself is trusting in the power of Jesus' name. And this is the first point that we see from this passage, that we can trust in the power of Jesus' name. Now, the second point talks about the presence of the Holy Spirit in this passage and what's happening here with Peter. Jesus' power is not only on display in the healing of this man, but also in the way in which Peter is able to speak to these religious rulers as we see in Acts 4:8. It says, "Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he goes on to boldly preach to these religious rulers." And this leads again to my second point about the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this trust is essential to grasping how Peter in particular is able to stand up to these religious rulers with such boldness. And it's helpful here to look back at Peter's life story and see his redemptive arc from the Gospels till now in Acts. Now Peter had always been a natural leader uh, among the Apostles. He was a passionate and fiery disciple of Jesus And he was, in his own words, Matthew 26, 35, he was willing to do anything for Jesus. And we see in the Gospels many instances of Peter's devotion to the Lord, how he left his entire livelihood to follow after Jesus. He left being a fisherman um, in an instant to follow Jesus. We see, uh, I love this, Peter jumped out of a boat multiple times into the water just to be near Jesus. And... Yet, in the midst of all this devotion that we see, we also see uh, his failures. He acts out in anger when he strikes the servant of the high priest with his sword. He doubts Jesus when he's walking on water, and he even rebukes Jesus to his face. Which is not a good thing to do. And yet, in what I think is one of the most crushing disappointments for Peter, he breaks a promise that he made to Jesus in Matthew 26:35. Peter is talking to Jesus, and he says, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And yet, we see from Scripture that when Jesus is on trial, Peter denies Jesus. And not just once, he denies him three times to three different people, and Peter wasn't even on trial. Peter denies Jesus when questioned by a servant girl and other people who were not even in the room where Jesus was being put on trial. But now in this passage, notice that who are the ones questioning Peter? None other than Annas and Caiaphas, who if you thought their names sounded familiar, you'd be right. They are the same high priests who questioned Jesus and put him to death. So now you can imagine Peter's mind is flashing back to that moment in the courtyard when Jesus was on trial. His heart was full of doubt and fear and his quickness to lie and refused to even say the name of Jesus, the one man he promised he would never disown. And now here he is, no longer being questioned by a lowly servant girl, but being questioned by the Sanhedrin, the high priest of the temple in Jerusalem, the same men who put Jesus to death. And what does he do? He doesn't cower. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't soften his language. He boldly proclaims the name of Jesus, the name he once denied and now exalts before the men who killed the author of life. So what changed? What enabled Peter to change his tune and abandon his fear? Well, let's flash back and hear it from Jesus himself, who was speaking to his disciples, including Peter, in Luke 12, 11-12. Jesus says, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And we see that very thing happen right here in this passage. The Holy Spirit, just like Jesus said, filled Peter and taught him exactly what to say in that very hour. The Holy Spirit of God filled Peter with the boldness needed to turn from his fear and trust in Jesus, speaking the truth of his name, despite what it could cost him. And friends, this is a great both encouragement and challenge for us today. That same Spirit of God who filled Peter indwells every believer who has placed their faith in the name of Jesus. Romans 8.26 says, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. And that is actually one of his names, that he is the helper. Jesus says in John 14.16 that, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. And the presence of Jesus' spirit acts as our our helper, our comforter, our counselor, And and just as Jesus said he would be, he is. Now, you may not be facing down a crowd of religious rulers who are intent on trapping you and killing you, but you may be facing trials of a different kind that can feel just as intense. You may be grieving You may be experiencing sickness or pain or know someone who's going through that, battling temptation, giving in to temptation, feeling despair, disappointment, anger, hurt, or struggling to feel anything at all. Well, let me read it again. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. comes from Romans 8.26. And what a comfort that is, that even in the weakness of our prayers, the Spirit, the Helper, intercedes for us. And this second point, that we can trust in the presence of the Holy Spirit, brings me to my third point in this passage, that we can trust not only in the name of Jesus, the indwelling Holy Spirit, but trust in the salvation that Jesus brings So let's read these final verses in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. Peter continues talking to the religious rulers. He says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter wraps up his speech before these religious rulers by quoting the Old Testament, specifically Psalm 118, 22, which says, "...the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone." Now, for those of you who don't know, historically, the cornerstone was, in a construction project, the most important piece of whatever building it was that you were building. And this large stone was usually placed in the corner of a building and served as a guide to the workers. By it, the walls were erected and kept straight. And the entire weight of the structure was linked to this foundational stone. And without it, the whole building would collapse. And we see throughout Scripture that Jesus is referred to as our cornerstone, and that he is the foundation of our faith, the one we look to for guidance, for strength, and support. And Peter goes on to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus with these religious rulers. He explains that it's only by the name of Jesus that we can be saved and that they can be saved from the penalty of their sins, which is eternity in hell. And this was not what the religious leaders believed could save them from hell. They agreed that everyone sinned, and they sinned as well, and that those sins needed to be paid for. But they believed that the only way to pay for their sins was by following strict rules in accordance with the Old Testament. They needed to follow the rituals and the animal sacrifices uh, in order to gain a right relationship with God. It was all based on deeds, how well they performed these deeds and how well they followed the rules. And this flies in the face of what the Apostle Peter was declaring to them about Jesus, that he alone, performed the only deed that was needed to make them right before God, and that was death on the cross and paying for the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future. And Jesus provided a sacrifice greater than any animal and a deed performed greater than any deed, which then opened the way for anyone, including these religious rulers. Anyone can place their faith in him, and what he did to receive forgiveness, and be saved from the penalty of their sins once and for all. Jesus' name even points to what he did on the cross in saving us, in that Jesus' name means Savior, or God is Savior. And Jesus' name has the power to save even these religious rulers, who thought they were following God, but were in fact persecuting him. The blood of Jesus was on their hands, but isn't it amazing that that same blood was the blood that could cleanse them from their sin that they were so guilty of, if they simply put their faith in this Jesus that Peter is talking to them about. And this is my final point that the invitation to trust in the salvation of Jesus was offered not only to these religious rulers, but it's also an invitation for us to trust and continue to trust in the salvation of Jesus. So we can see this threefold trust in this passage trust in the powerful name of Jesus, trust. In the presence of the Holy Spirit and trust in the salvation that Jesus offers. And He is trustworthy. A quote I love comes from Corey ten Boom, who was a Dutch Christian woman uh, who survived the Holocaust in World War II. And she said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I love that. So my prayer is, is that as we face our own trials, May we be, like Peter, emboldened and have a trust that can only come through faith in the name of Jesus. Remember the analogy of my student, how the name we stand behind gives us power, because the person of Jesus is powerful. And while Jesus is powerful, that doesn't mean that he will rid us of pain and strife while we remain here on earth. Jesus himself promised in this world, that we would have trouble. In John 16.33, he says, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We see this truth throughout, throughout Scripture, that trouble will come. The Apostle Peter, from this passage, ultimately he was killed for his faith, but even in his death, Jesus was with him through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has overcome the world by bringing new spiritual life to all who believe in him. And we, take, we can take comfort in knowing that there is life after death through Jesus and life to the fullest. And so I pray that you would take comfort this morning in knowing that through your trials and weaknesses, your doubts and your failures, Jesus is with you. And I pray, and I pray that you would daily turn to Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith, and trust in the power of his name, the presence of his spirit, and the salvation that he offers, in saving us once and for all from the penalty of sin, that he is daily saving us from the power of sin, and one glorious day he will save us even from the presence of sin. Let me close in prayer. So dear God, um, you are so good. And God, thank you for what you did on the cross And I pray that as we leave here today, you would help us by your spirit to trust in the power of your great name, that we would walk in step with the Holy Spirit you've given to your children and trust the great salvation that you bring us. Help us, Lord, and thank you for the hope that we have in you, our rock and our redeemer. I pray you bless every person here in this room and listening online in yourself. And I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen, church. Let's stand and sing one more song in worship in response of today's message. Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Wonderful, merciful Savior.
2: Wonderful, merciful Savior. Precious Redeemer and friend. Who would have thought that a land? to their comfort
1: the full Savior. Lord, God, I pray that we may be a people that trust and believe in the name of Jesus. As we heard today, God, I I pray that we may trust in the authority of your name, Lord. Thank you Thank you, Father, for the for the gift of the Holy Spirit as well, in whom we can also trust to provide us comfort and as we heard to and and, and, and intercede for us, God, when we when we are weak, when we when, when we don't have the words to speak. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for our salvation in Christ, our cornerstone. God, remind us of the power that's in the name of Jesus. Lord, we, we serve a living God in whom we can trust because of the resurrection. And so, Father, today, as believers, as Christians, we believe because of the resurrection Jesus proclaimed and said that he would rise again. And he's the only one that has ever been able to do that. So thank you, Father, because we can believe in a powerful, powerful name that is in Jesus. God, you are worthy of our praise, worthy of worthy of our, of our time today, Father. And I pray, God, you may continue to lead us. Continue to lead us, Lord, in all things, for the glory of God and in Jesus' name. Amen. Word of God says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Church, God bless you. You are dismissed. Amen.